0: If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Yeah, we want to give Brianna a hand. She's done an awesome job. How many of you learned something about our community today just by what she shared? Yeah. So this is our community. We are called to bless. So we're excited about uh, what she's doing and we can all be a part In some way, we can all be a part of loving our community. So, all right. Now, do I have your permission to go long today? Great. If not, just leave. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, Father, I thank you for what you are, have already done this morning in this place. God, I thank you for your presence. God, you're so kind to us to, to allow us to feel the tangible presence uh, of, your, of your person, of who you are. So, God, we just uh, want to continue to honor you today throughout, uh, our, throughout this message. God, throughout our interaction together. God, throughout our day. So we love you. This is all for you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before I cry. All right. So I want to share a message today called How to Tend Your Garden. Um, Now, God has a design for our lives. You know, he created us when he created mankind. He said, you're very good. Say, I'm very good. All right. So he had a design for us when he had us in mind. And that design is good. And that design was always for us to be healthy and full. God wouldn't create us otherwise. He's a good God. So he always created us to be healthy and full. Say, I was designed to be healthy and full. All right. And then the Bible proves this. In 3 John 1, 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. Say, all things. And be in health just as your soul prospers. So God's design for you was always health and prosperity, body, soul, and spirit. And in James 1, 4, it says, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Say lacking nothing. Lacking. God's design for our lives was that we lack nothing. And in John 10.10, it says, Jesus came that we could have life and life more abundantly. God's design for us is always abundance and overflowing. God's design for our lives is good. We were created to be full and healthy all the time. Now, how many of you feel full and healthy all the time? This is where, like, you remember the old, in the 90s, the live studio audiences, they would go, oh. is like oh so we do not feel our design all the time we do not always feel healthy and we do not always feel full now when that is the case that is an indicator that we something in our lives is not operating according to divine design so now in your body in your physical body if something is not right what happens what do you feel pain, right? Sickness, pain, something is off, right? If something is off in your soul, um, what do you feel? You feel a a negative emotion or you'll feel a strong emotion. You might feel um, shame or anger or depression or um, any of those things, worry, all those things. That's an indicator that something is happening in our soul that is not full or healthy, right? And how many of you in your spirit, everything might look fine around you, but you just have a check in your spirit and you're like, everything looks fine, but something just doesn't feel right about this. Your spirit is, is indicating to you, is warning you, is alerting you that something is not right in that situation. So God built us with these alert systems, body, soul, and spirit, that when something is not operating according to our divine design, he lets us know right? He's so good like that. How many of you know if you were paralyzed from the waist down and somebody stuck a knife in your leg and you couldn't feel it, you're going to bleed out, right? Like pain is actually not, is not always a bad thing. Actually, sometimes pain is a a kindness because it lets us know something's off, right? Now, here's the thing. We don't like pain. How many of you, I won't even ask you. If you like pain, we've got a whole other issue we can talk about later. Um, But we don't like pain. We like to run away from pain. We like to cover it. We like to numb it. We like to hide from it. And we get really good at living with symptoms because we all said, right, we do not always live feeling full and healthy. So we get used to coping. We get used to living with those symptoms. We get used to a subpar reality from abundant life. And often what we'll do is, how many of you um, are a tradesman or or even just a mother or anything, and duct tape has been your friend at some point, right? You patch up the system. You just patch it up and keep it moving. Well, a lot of times we do that emotionally is we'll slap on some emotional duct tape and we keep it moving. Now, sometimes duct tape will hold for a while, but duct tape is not a solution, right? It is not a healing, right? It's just a patch-up job. Now, um, how many of you have a uh, check engine light on your car? (laughs) This is your car's way of telling you when something is not right. How many of you know, you could not know it, that your engine is having a problem, but that light tells you, it indicates to you that something is wrong. Now, last year, my check engine light was on in my car. Now, my car has these special twerks or quirks about it, And um, so like one of them, it gets up to 40 miles an hour and it starts to make this rumbling sound. The mechanics don't know what it is. The internet doesn't know what it is. So I just started calling it a special feature. So rather than calling it a problem, I just, oh, that's my feature. My car has a special feature about it. But when your lights come on on your dash, those are not just special features. They're actually telling you something is wrong in the operating system of the car, right? Now, if you would just take a piece of duct tape and put it over the light so you can't see it anymore. Does that make the problem go away? No, you know what happened last year? I'm driving up Peter's Mountain and I'm on the hill and my engine said, I've had enough and it died. And there I sat, not knowing what to do, my foot smashed on the brake pedal and I was stuck. And do you know why that happened? My engine was burning oil at a rapid rate, and I wasn't refilling it in time. I wasn't giving it what it needed, and so what it it said, all right, I've had enough. I'm not doing this anymore, and so it gave out. So, when we're not aware of what's going on inside of us and we're constantly requiring of ourselves, just like our car, we're constantly, all right, your job is to drive. Your job is to go, right, and to stop when I tell you. When we're always requiring of ourselves and saying, all right, you go and you stop when I tell you, but we're not filling in what it needs, guess what's going to eventually happen? It's going to shut down on us, right? So in order to live by our design to be healthy and full, it takes a sense of self-awareness of what's going on inside of us. Now, what is self-awareness? Can anybody tell me? It is being aware of yourself, yes. Thank you, Shimon. It is not a hard definition. It is being aware of what is going on inside of our person, right? Body, soul, and spirit. Why is this important? In Proverbs 4.23, it says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, including your thoughts, your will, your, and your discernment, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. So what this verse is saying is that what's happening inside of me is going to affect what's happening in every part of my life, including, say including, our relationships with other people. The Bible tells us the second commandment, second greatest commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's one breath, one verse to love your neighbor as yourself. So the way that we love ourselves will directly affect the relationships in our life. And I don't know about you, but my life tends to go better when the relationships that are close to me are going well, right? And when they're not, my life is, we're we're not as good as we could be, right? So now you could say, why did if God designed us to be full and healthy, why didn't he just program us to stay that way, right? Well, he didn't create robots. He didn't create machines, right? He actually gave us the gift of being able to choose. He gave us the gift of being able to think, to feel, to express, to believe, to choose, to love. If he didn't give us that option, it wouldn't really be love, right? In order for it to be love, you have to have the ability to love back. Otherwise, it's abuse. So he gave us the ability to think, feel, choose, believe, and to do. He gave us that choice. He gave us that gift. In fact, the first thing that he did when he created mankind was he gave him a job. He said, name the animals. Care for the earth, right? He said, be fruitful and multiply. And he said, choose life. You have the whole garden. Choose life. He gave us the power to be responsible for ourselves. He could have created us to just lounge around in perfection forever. But he didn't. He gave us a job to do. He said, you are responsible to care for your garden. And today, the garden is going to represent your life. So say, I am the boss of me. All right. Now, if I were the boss of a company and I sat up here in my tower, just lounging about, and I didn't know anything that was happening in the rest of my company, am I going to be a very good manager of that company? No. No. Now, likewise, if I am not aware of what's going on inside of me, I'm not going to be a very good boss of me. I'm not going to be a very good manager of myself, of the thing I've been given to steward, my life, my garden. So, But what we like to do is treat ourselves like we treat the fridge. Now, so what we do is we go into ourselves, we place a demand on ourselves, we reach in, we grab it, we close the door real quick. Why? Because I don't know about you. How many of you? There might be something funky going on in your fridge, but you would just prefer to not know that it's there, (laughs) right? So we reach in. All right, I need, I need the milk. Reach in, grab the milk, close the door real quick. Now it was. We had a lot of people in my house growing up. There was a lot of stuff in our fridge. In fact, we still at my parents' house. It's called fridge Jenga, because. Take out at your own risk. You need to be very strategic about how you pull something out so that the rest doesn't pour out. There's just a lot going on, especially when you've got like alternative eaters. You've got like seven different milks in the fridge. It takes up a lot of space. So now how many of you are familiar with butter dishes? I'm saying that with quotes for those who are listening because there is rarely actually butter in the butter dish, right? How many of you are familiar with those like yellow, back in the day, those yellow margarine tubs that you pull out and you're like really thinking that it's margarine for your toast and then it's like, you know, deer guts or something that you just weren't expecting. We live in a hunting community, you never know. So actually this is why I I exclusively, I will only use clear dishes in my fridge because of childhood fridge trauma. Because if we don't, if we can't see it, right, then we don't have to deal with it. So... I guess for me, I want to see it so that I can deal with it because nobody, nobody wants to be the one to identify or to um, accidentally stumble upon the source of the smell that's happening in there, right? I, and I used to be in charge of cleaning out the fridge and you would crack it open and I don't know if you've ever smelled rotten black beans, but I like just even saying it, it like, I, like, I'll convulse, like it's a bad smell. Nobody wants to find the funk. So what do we do? We reach in, grab what we want, close the door real quick. Now I'm using this as an analogy for our lives. We will reach in, place a demand on what we need at the moment, and we'll close the door real quick. I don't want to see what what else is going on in there. I don't want to crack the seal on the funk, right? Now... Have you ever gone into your fridge for something that you needed, say the milk, and you're like, "Oh great, the milk." And I grabbed it and you went to pour it out. You're like, "This feels a little light." You go to pour it out and there's like a teaspoon left in the jug. <laughs> and what is your first response? Who did it? They are a horrible person obviously. What what is wrong with them, right? So, but what do we do for ourselves? We reach in for something that we need like patience or kindness or joy or peace or gentleness or self-control. We reach in for it and we place that demand. And then what happens if we haven't refilled? We go in for it and there's nothing there because we haven't filled it up, right? And then what do we do? Just like, who, who did it? Who put the thing in there empty? So immediately, we don't want to blame it on ourselves. So we'll blame it on somebody else. So I reach in for patience and I don't have any. And automatically, it's your fault. That's not my fault. That's your fault, right? We love to project our issues onto other people. We love it. We're like professionals at it. Listen, okay. Have you heard any of these things? It's the government. It's society. Kids these days. I love that one. You never, you always, right? We love to make our issues somebody else's issues. Now I've learned, and I'm learning, that the healthier you get, the quicker you recognize that the issues that you think is everybody else is more than likely rooted in your own stuff, in your own issue, right? I'm not saying that everybody else doesn't have a responsibility here, but I've recognized that the healthier I get, even if it is somebody else's issue, it doesn't control my life, because I am the boss of me, right? So this will always, whenever we project onto somebody else, it's always gonna cause relational problems. And like we said earlier, when our relationships around us are going awry, uh, we feel the effects of that in our life, right? Brene Brown says that blame is the discharging of discomfort and pain. So really, it's a symptom of an unresolved internal issue. It manifests as blame, but it's really a sign of me not being accountable to what's happening inside of me. And so what do we do? We get angry. We explode onto somebody else. Or we go inside. We stuff it down and pretend it's not happening, right? We put that duct tape on it. And then eventually, how many of you have ever done that? You stuff it down so long, Somebody triggers it, and did you ever see a Mentos in a Coke bottle? Eventually, somebody hits that trigger. They drop the Mentos in, and you explode, right? We don't want to get to that point. So those warning signs, when we're feeling pain, discomfort, when we're feeling um, something inside of us that is alerting us, something in here is wrong, your check engine light's on, right? That's when we want to stop. We want to recognize what's happening And we want to deal with it, right? We're going to get to that part. So say, I am responsible for what goes in and what comes out of me. All right, that's a big statement we have to deal with. It doesn't feel good all the time. So we have to stop handing over our power to something else. We have to stop that blame thing because that's not a powerful behavior to blame it on someone else. The fact is that, the, that life, that our gardens, were designed for perfection. They were designed for maturity, designed to be healthy and full all the time. But just like Adam and Eve, God gave them a job to do. He says, all right, this was your design. Now you have to work it. So we have to work at the garden of our life. So how do we tend the garden of our life? I'm going to show you a picture here. Last spring my mom and I started volunteering in the community garden and this is what it looked like when we started. You couldn't even find the ground like the dirt in the garden, which is a problem. Big mess. So this is how we started. And uh, we worked every Wednesday morning. We would go and we would work at the garden. Can you put the next one up? This is what it looks like now. We also had the help of some awesome volunteers. And I'm going to take this moment to do a shameless plug. We need volunteers to the community garden. So if gardening interests you at all, um, come spring, we're going to need lots of help. But that's what it looks like. Can you, can you go back to the last one? That's what it looked like. And then go ahead. Go put the next one up. This is what it looks like now. Now, how did we get there? One weed at a time. (laughs) And there were a lot of weeds. One weed at a time, one piece of shale at a time, those cinder blocks, one cinder block, one brick at a time, right? Say "One one at a time. All right. So how do you manage yourself? One thing at a time. Because if you look at the mess. Don't do that. Don't like go be like. Okay, Katie said I have to be aware of myself, and you go and you like deep dive into everything that's going on inside of you. Don't do that. You'll overwhelm yourself. And if you get overwhelmed, you got to call somebody else. They'll help you dig out, right? But we do this. We tend to our garden by by dealing with one thing at a time. So when that alarm bell's ringing, that something's going wrong. We don't put the duct tape on it. We say, okay, something's off. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be afraid of it. I'm going to recognize that it's happening, and I'm going to take it to the Lord. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the Passion Translation, it says, Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life. Say a beautiful life. Satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Okay, so how do we get there? How do we get to maturity? How do we get to living by our design? See if you can fill in this blank. Blank makes perfect. Practice. Practice makes perfect. Perfect in the Bible is used to um, de- describe the word maturity, those, those words. It's not perfection as if nothing's going wrong. It is maturity. You are growing in maturity, right? Now, I asked the kids in children's church one time. I said, all right, I just was testing their knowledge. I said, okay, when you ask Jesus into your heart, does he come? And he pushes your belly button. That's why he gave it to you. That's the, the Jesus button. You push the Jesus button, and all of a sudden, your life becomes perfect. And they said, no, like you're, you should know this, right? So they're smart and they knew that that's not the answer because even with Jesus, he doesn't just come and push a magic button. No, he gave us the power to be the boss of ourselves, to live out our own lives, to live out our own salvation, right? Because faith is a practice. It's not a magic potion. It's something that has to be exercised that actually the definition of practice is repeated exercise of an activity or skill so as to acquire or maintain proficiency in it. Basically, the more you do it, the better you get at it. It also means the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to just theories relating to it. So in other words, if we just said, well, God made me perfect and just never did the work, that's like an idea of what faith is. But it's not actually faith because faith requires the working of it, right? Thank you. All right. So God has given us permission, this is huge, and commission to practice our salvation. He gave us the permission. He actually said, all right, you need to live this out for yourself. All right, I'm going to skip this bit because I'm really running out of time. But what religion wants to do is to... Do the thing where we just say, Oh, God is good all the time. We just we appear perfect, right? So religion wants to do the thing where somebody's like, Well, how are you doing? And you're like, God is good all the time. Right? Lord's good. Right? Which is true, the words are true. But if you're lying through your teeth, that's not faith. That's a lie. You can actually say the right things and it still be an appearance. It's not the practice, the working out of faith. It's just the appearance of it. So, yeah, and I just, a side note, I have to put this in here. I'm not saying that you shouldn't speak the words of God even when you don't feel it because that is actually powerful. But what you don't do is lie. What you don't do is lie to yourself that just pretends like nothing is going on. And usually we do this most with other people because it's vulnerable. We don't want to let other people know that we're actually practicing. We want them to think that we're perfect, which is not realistic, right? So the word of God is not a band-aid or a mask. It is a living, breathing relationship with the healer himself. This is a, a great statement. Denial does not mature you. Friendship with God does. I got a prophetic word one time that said denial had served me greatly. And what that was saying was that I could do a really great job at just denying that anything was going on in my life and plowing through because I got somewhere to go, right? We can put the name determination. I have always been a person of great determination. Ask my mother, right? So we can put words like endurance on it or tenacity. We can put words on it that sound good, But if we're just plowing through and never dealing with the issues, eventually we're going to run into a wall, which is what this prophetic word went on to say. It said, denial has served you greatly, but a lot of times you're running into a wall and you're just trying to keep running and you're getting a lot of of knots on your forehead because you're not stopping to deal with the issue. You're not stopping to actually acknowledge that something is going on inside of you. And so the word said, when you hit a wall, you hit a wall. That's what it said. She, the word said. Now, when that happens, it doesn't make you less of a person. What that, what that does, or when that happens, you stop. You, you recognize, you acknowledge that you hit a wall. You give that thing to the Lord. You deal with it, and then you can plow forward. So, remember, uh, what is the word? Denial does not mature you. It's a lie. It's a misconception, and it can seem very noble. It can seem very noble to pretend that nothing's going on and plow through, right? But it, eventually it's going to catch up to you. So if when we hit a wall, as it were, as it, when we hit that thing that's happening in our life that we just want to ignore, we want to plow through in the name of endurance or faith or any other holy words we might give it, if we stop, acknowledge the wall in front of us and ask for help instead of a lot of knots on our forehead we would have a lot of memorial stones of what God has done in our lives. And I'd rather have those. Because we cannot, I'll say this over and over and over again, we cannot do life without him. So you have a body, a soul, and a spirit, and all of them have needs. Pastor Joel teaches an awesome message on needs. You can find it on our podcast. Um, But guess what? Who designed you to have those needs? God, not the enemy. God he created you to have those needs so that you could walk in fullness and health and health so he also knows exactly what you need at all times so if we just say oh I don't need anything and we just never take it to the Lord he can't actually fill you you have to actually do the work of recognizing that you're empty and that you need filled up take it to him because he can always fill you up he is everything that we need right all right, Galatians 5, through 23. This is in the Passion Translation. The verse starts out, but the harvest produced by the Holy Spirit. And I want to stop there. I know you can read the rest, but just listen to me. The harvest produced by the Holy Spirit. How do you reap a harvest? You sow and you have to do the work. If you just sow the seeds and then weeds came up and choked it out, you have to actually work a garden in order to reap a harvest, Right. So it says, But the harvest produced by the Holy Spirit. So we reap a harvest of the Holy Spirit's fruit by tending our relationship with him, by weeding out the things that don't belong and by growing and maturing good fruit. So we continue. This is the fruit of the Spirit verse. Galatians 22 through 23. But the harvest produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. I love. Love the way the Passion Translation says this, because the fruit of the Spirit is meant to be limitless. That means when you have a need, there is always enough for you, but you have to work your relationship with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean work in your own strength. That means you actually have to recognize when you have a need, and you have to actually go to him for him to fill it. So, all right. So what do we do when one of those warning signs is going off in our life? I'm going to get a little practical for you. When those indicators are alarming in our lives, now the first thing, remember, we have to actually start at the practice of being self-aware. That means not just getting used to living with the symptoms. It means actually recognizing when one is happening, right? And that is a scary thing in itself. How many of you have ever had a problem in your body and you refuse to go to the doctor because you're afraid of what the doctor's going to tell you? right? It's a scary thing in itself sometimes to just recognize to actually acknowledge and admit that you have a symptom, right? So this is that's step number 1. We have to actually recognize what's going on. But this is what we don't do. Blame it on somebody else. So, blame is a powerless behavior that hurts our relationships and keeps us in unhealth. If you can think of something positive, long-term positive that actually comes from blame, let me know because I couldn't think of one. So, blaming is not powerful. Blaming is the work of a victim. And when we experience a symptom of a need not being met in our life, a lot of times what we do is we live as a victim of that symptom rather than recognizing it for what it is so that we can deal with the source. So, blaming isn't powerful. Say, blaming isn't powerful. Say, I am powerful. All right, another thing you don't do when a symptom is going on in your life is pretend that it isn't happening. Remember, denial is not the answer. So this, a lot of times when we deny what's going on, it is happening whether we admit it or not. So what we'll do is activate coping mechanisms a lot of times. So this is when we are in pain and we want to feel better, so we do a thing to make ourselves feel better, right? That's a coping mechanism. So we do things like compulsively eat or drink or play video games or watch movies or read books or work or social media or whatever the thing is for you, right, and there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but when we use it as a drug to numb something that's actually going on inside of us, we will start to live a life dependent on those things and it becomes a drug that we can never get enough of because we're not dealing with the symptom, the root of what is going on in our lives. So I know this. There's a reason I don't allow myself to have Oreos because, and you'll laugh at me, but like this is it. I know that I'm a compulsive eater. I know when I'm coping, right? I know, I've come to recognize it. Maybe not all the time, but I know when I'm scrolling endlessly, and I'm feeling empty inside, I'm trying to find something to fill that void, I know what I'm doing, or eventually I'll figure it out, right? So we activate these coping mechanisms instead of just dealing what's going on inside of us. So we don't do that. Another thing we don't do is to slap a religious band-aid on it. Do not lie to God, yourself, or others by pretending that you are perfect. Just think about this. No one goes from zero to perfect in an instant not even with Jesus. Right? You have to work at it. So the only way that we hit perfection or maturity is through practice. Remember, perfection and maturity can be used the same. And what makes perfect? Practice. So we will be practicing this for all of eternity. We'll be going from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. It just keeps getting better. We will be practicing for a long time. So what does this mean? This means that I should actually see you practicing in your life. That means that if I see you and you appear to be perfect, I'm like, ah, either they've really, really arrived or they're just something they're covering up, Right? Okay, So that means that it's okay and that means that we, we must give ourselves permission, not, our, not just ourselves, we must give each other permission to practice. Because we will not get it right every time. But when we create a culture, an atmosphere, a family, a community, whatever you want to call it, where we give each other permission, then we start to trust a little bit. Like, oh, maybe I can let this out a little bit. Maybe I can deal with this because I'm not afraid that I'm gonna be beat down if I do, right? So we should be a safe place for people and we should be celebrating each other's practice, not ridiculing it. The world needs to hear this. We must give each other the permission to practice our salvation. Otherwise we're putting an unreal expectation on people, and they will not be themselves because they're afraid of the repercussions. They're afraid of being canceled in whatever form that is. We must give each other permission. Even non-believers, because they are still practicing, they just don't know for what yet, right? Right? Our hope, our goal as believers, is that none should perish. So we have to give grace. That is what grace is. It's permission and enablement. He helps us along the way, right? Okay. Papa might be like, grace is permission. I don't know. (laughs) But but the way that I, I thought of it is grace is God's allowance and assistance to practice this life with him. So if you think that you have to be perfect in order to go to God, you'll never go to him because you'll never be perfect right? We have to give ourselves permission to practice. We have to give other people permission to practice. We are all taking baby steps. The Bible talks a lot about going from the milk of the word to the meat. We're all growing in him. We're all growing in life. How many of you messed up like today, like yesterday, right? We are, we mess up all the time, right? And the goal is not to stay in that place. The goal is to constantly be maturing and growing into that perfection that is our perfect design that he created us to have. So we're all making those baby steps. All right, give each other grace. Give each other permission to practice. Give yourself grace, yourself permission to practice. So those are the things, um, well, that one was one of the things that we do. Another thing that we do when those alarm bells are ringing, um, I kind of said it earlier, is to just recognize that it's happening. That's step one, right? Recognizing that you don't have to live like that. That is an indicator. That's a warning sign that's saying, oh, Something is not operating according to the way that it should be. My perfect design in him. Dr. Caroline Leaf, I love her. She is a neuroscientist. Neuro, is that the right? Yeah, neuroscientist. She says, as long as something is hidden in the dark, it remains unchanging. When we get it out, it becomes weak and changeable in the light. It loses its power, and it can now be replaced with the truth or the healthy behavior. I love, this is like transform my life because a lot of times I would just stuff it down because it's scary to deal with it. But I learned when I let it out into the light, even just between me and the Lord, the moment I let it out, it loses its power over me. I no longer become a victim to those symptoms. Now it can become changing under the glory of God. He can bring me, he can help to bring me back into my perfect design. That's actually repentance. That's actually him changing us. More and more to look like him, to come back to that Eden state. So um, lastly, what we must do is to stay in friendship with Jesus. He is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to live life with us and to empower us to partner with the design that he's given to us. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, he always wanted to walk close with us. Always, always. It was only when we tried to do it on our own and hid it from him that we stepped outside of our design. He always wanted to do this life with us. And guess what? He is not afraid of your mess. Adam and Eve hid, and God said, where are you? Like, why are you hiding? He wasn't afraid of what they had done. He's saying, why are you hiding from me? Right? So Matthew 11, 28 through 30, I love these verses. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to read that one more time. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me learn from me. Allow him to teach us. Allow him to give us the grace to practice. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is not a harsh taskmaster. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. So all the stuff that you carry that is heavy, whether you even recognize it or not, all that stuff, he says, bring it to me. I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your soul. My, make the trade. What I have to give you is light. It's easy. He is the God of the great exchange. I, like, I could have cried just reading that verse. Like, he's so good. Whatever we give him, he'll give us better. Like, that's the promise. That is the God of the great exchange. Whatever we give him, he'll give us better. So what does this look like? This looks like, what does a friendship with Jesus look like? It looks like a nonstop conversation. Nonstop, all the time. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. We never stop the conversation. He's not a category. He's not just a time frame. He's not just Sunday mornings. He's not just our prayer closets. He's not just our Bible reading verse of the day. He is all of it. It's a nonstop conversation with Jesus, and a lot of us suffer far too long because we're trying to figure it out on our own, and I am so 100% guilty of this. We try to do it without him. I've recognized, even if I'm talking to another person, and we're trying to solve the problems of the world, because, you know, we can do that, right? And if I just, inside, I just started to recognize, wait, I didn't let Jesus be a part of this conversation. That doesn't even mean we have to say, well, the Bible says this. No, it's just inside of me, I'm doing nothing without him. I'm recognizing my complete dependence on the friendship with Jesus. And the more I do this, the more I recognize my need for him. The quicker I'll go to him with my stuff, the quicker it gets resolved because he's the God of the great exchange. And the quicker I recognize when there's space between us. And I'm getting to the point where I can't afford space in between us. And I promise you, he's good and he's trustworthy. He's kind. Whatever you give him, he will give you better. It's a nonstop relationship. And he is Good and worthy of our time, he's worthy of our life. He wants us to be full and healthy, according to the way he designed us. Last verse, Proverbs eighteen twenty four. It says, "He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother." He is a friend. He is many many things. He's everything that we need. He is every role, but he is a friend, and he's good and he's kind. And when it says that his kindness leads us to repentance, that's what it is. He's saying, hey, something's off. If you give that to me, if we change, if we walk in that repentance, you're going to be better off. So he leads us with kind eyes, with a gentle heart, with a meek spirit. There's this line of a spontaneous song that I just love, I love, I love, and it's not even like a published song, and it says, I'm gently held by the hand that could crush me but I won't be afraid because I know that he loves me. He is all-powerful, but he is good, and he is kind. And the closer we get in friendship with him, the more that we can trust our hearts to him, the more we can set our stuff in the palm of his hand and let him remold us and let, us re- let him reshape us back to the original design, which was Eden, which was the garden where we walked together and nothing was separating us. We weren't hiding. Father, I thank you that you are good and you are kind and you are trustworthy. Father, I thank you that we can, you can be trusted, God. We can come before you boldly. God, and you don't just snap your fingers and fix it, but you give us the grace. You give us the permission to walk out our salvation, to come back into that perfect design with you. Father, and I thank you that you extend that grace to each and every one of us. None of us are excluded from your love. None of us are separate from your patience, your kindness, your goodness. You give that, you offer that freely to all of us. So, Father, today, God, I ask in every heart, in the sound of my voice, Father, I thank you that they would come just a little bit more, a little bit closer to trusting you with all of their life. Father, and I thank you that you do such beautiful work, that you transform us from the inside out. God, you want our lives to be good. You want us to be lacking nothing. You want us to be full and healthy and happy and joyful. You want those things for our life. So God, right now, I release a grace to practice in this house. Father, we say that we are going to be a people who affords grace to one another for us to practice and to walk out our salvation uh, with one another, within community, within a safe space. Father, I thank you, God, for your mercy, God, when we get it wrong. God, that we can just come right back to you. We don't have to hide or, or try to fix it on our own strength. So, Father, I bless each one here. God, I thank you. You don't point out those things to punish us. You don't point them out to shame us. You point them out to heal us. And God, I thank you that your heart for every one of us is that we would walk in the wholeness, the sozo of our salvation, body, soul, and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.